Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon, and I'm joined by my co-host and the co-founder of Force Management, John Kaplan. How are you doing today, Cap? I'm doing fantastic, Johnny. Really good. I'm looking forward to this guest. Yeah, great guest, Cap. Our special guest is Joe Young, who started his career in inside sales at EMC Dell. And then Joe was promoted to an inside sales manager role before being promoted into an outside account executive role at EMC Dell. Joe was then promoted back into inside sales at EMC Dell and promoted once again to the director level for U.S. commercial data center sales. And finally, Joe became the senior director of U.S. commercial sales before leaving Dell to join Zscaler. And Cap at Zscaler, Joe is a vice president responsible for all of Zscaler's worldwide commercial sales, which is, you know, inside sales, SDRs, and he actually has field sales, um, under 2,500 employees working for him also. Hey, welcome, Joe Young. How are you, man? How you doing? I'm great, John. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You're looking good up there. You're looking like it might be cold outside. A little chilly up in Boston. Uh, I'm, I'm jealous if you're in Florida. I am, but I got this quarter zip on. I went in the cold dip like about an hour ago. I love it. It took me like a half an hour to warm back up again. <laughs> I did take a trip to, up in Lake Winnipesaukee at 35. You're not supposed to warm up, dude. You're not supposed to warm up afterwards. You're not? No, you got to let it. You got it. You're supposed to let your body temperature come back normally. Not getting in a hot that. shower, putting on warm clothes. You're like defeating the purpose. Really? Yeah. I'm just, I don't mean to lecture you. I'm just trying to get it straight. Where did you read about that? Well, I'm the original cold plunger, dude. <laughs> if you recall. I didn't read about you. I read about Wim Hof, but not, not John <laughs> That's Cass. right. You sent me the book. That's how I became a cold plunger. You sent me the book, so I do owe that to you. Well, say yeah, hi you're to Joe. Say Joe, hi to Joe, nice to meet you, brother. Nice to meet you. Hey, John, you Good too. to see you. Be here. So, Joe, why don't we start with maybe you just giving us a high, without giving any secrets away, you know, give us a high-level overview of how Zscaler is organized within commercial sales or what a lot of people might call inside sales. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so actually, let, let me, I'll, I'll start before that. I, I spent um, 10 years at EMC Dell prior to starting at Zscaler. And over those 10 years, I had a lot of exposure to different field-based roles, but I also started in the inside sales program. So I started as a, a BDR, we called them sales associates at the time, went through inside sales, and then moved on into the field into a variety of different roles. But my my last role before I left Dell EMC at the time uh, was leading a field organization as well as an inside organization. So oh, a lot of the, the kind of best practices and things that I've, I've learned about commercial and inside versus outside, you know, started at, at EMC Dell. Uh, and I was so lucky to go through both of those programs. Um, and a lot of those best practices I kind of took to Zscaler. So um, I started at Zscaler a little over three years ago. 
And um, my boss at the time, uh, Dolly Reich, who you guys both know, uh, made the business case to the board of directors and our CEO that we're missing a market opportunity by not covering the mid-market space. Zscaler was really founded covering the large enterprise and major accounts. So um, it was a great challenge for me. There was minimal coverage on that space to start. Um, and we really built it out over the last three years to being you know, a pretty good size organization. So the way we, we define it at Zscaler specifically uh, is 2,500 employees and below is what constitutes commercial accounts. Um, within commercial, we have it segmented in two different groups. Uh, we have SMB, which is 500 employee accounts and below. And think of that like our inside sales organization. So that's primarily uh, employees that are selling over the phone or Zoom based in hub offices covering the lower end of the market. Uh, and I can talk a little bit about why we segmented that out in, in the future. Commercial uh, is 500 employees to 2,500 employees. And that is actually primarily more field-based, although we do have some hub based sellers selling remotely into commercial accounts. It kind of depends on the geography or the market that we're covering. Um, but we did want to have field presence for those accounts as well, because most of our competitors have field presence. And we think it's so important for building the channel ecosystem and, and being on site selling in person to these accounts as well. Um, so that's commercial. And then also under my responsibility today is our SDR organization. So um, that's really the new hires, both college graduates, as well as some people with, with a few years of experience that start building pipeline and demand generation for all segments at Zscaler. So they help, they help support commercial enterprise and large enterprise accounts. Um, so that's really how we segment commercial today. Yeah. Now, Joe, do you also have them organized into hubs like in the United States, Europe, and Asia? You have yes. worldwide responsibility, right? It is worldwide responsibility. So that we're one of the uh, outs. I think it's the channel and commercial are both global businesses within Zscaler. The rest are are in each theater. So there's an America's uh, Enterprise Plus, EMEA Enterprise Plus, and APJ Enterprise Plus. But we have the global business. So um, as best as we can, we try and work out of these hub offices. Now we kind of during COVID, you know, had some challenges with that. But in the Americas, we have three major hubs that have both SDRs and SMB inside reps for Zscaler. So that's Boston, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and Dallas, Texas. Um, in Europe, we have London. And then we just started doing a little bit more in Germany um, and in Spain. Um, and then in APJ, because of the, you know, that's such a different geography, we have Japan, we have Singapore, and we have um, Australia. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, yes. <laughs> do, you, do you yourself or with the help of someone else move the line between, let's say, SMB and your commercial team and then the commercial team and the, the enterprise team based upon the productivity of the different groups? So if, let's say one group is not as, let's say the 500 and below the SMB is not as productive now. Something's going on, and then the five hundred to twenty five hundred, the productivity keeps going up. Have you ever moved the line up and down just to see if that changes productivity? Yeah, it's a great question. We have done that. So the SMB. So I'll I'll start with why we originally segmented out SMB. When I first started, we had just straight up territory sales reps and commercial. So if you had Boston, you had everything that fell under 2,500 employees in Boston, right? And that's a lot of accounts. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's it's thousands and thousands of accounts. 
So prioritization was was really important. And obviously those reps wanted to gravitate up market to kind of our, our ideal customer profile and where the biggest opportunity was. But there was so much noise on the low end. You know, we'd have inbound requests, demo requests. Uh, you know, the SDRs might be drumming up some business for us in a hundred person company. And no matter what we did, we sell on a per user per year cost basis. So the deals would never be that big, but it still required a lot of work and time and, and running the sales process to, to go get that deal. So I, I, what happened was our productivity was we were getting dragged down market when in reality, the, the, the best reps had, had it dialed in up market, but then we were missing opportunity. So we segmented out SMB and we started that actually at 250 employees and below. Mm. And that was a pilot program in the U.S. where we just had a handful of sales reps with really, really big territories. So it was a very um, kind of transactional, reactive type of sale because there was a lot of inbound. Um, what, but what that did was it allowed the commercial reps to really focus up market on, on where the, the big opportunity was, which was great. So it made the commercial team more productive and it, got our, it, it gave us a really good spot to hire entry-level commercial sellers to go cover that that low end of the market, promoting up from SDR or hiring externally or whatever. Um, but what over time we grew that, we hot, we actually moved it up to 500 from a segment line because the SMB reps at first were hitting productivity, but as we added more and grew it out, we started seeing that productivity go down. Yeah, um, yeah. so that's, that's how we ended up at 500. And I honestly think over time we can, we can keep stretching that because uh, there's plenty of opportunity in both commercial and SMB. And again, I think if we could get our SMB reps, maybe even going up to 750 or a thousand over time, it could, it could help us. Now, do you get the enterprise guys trying to tell you or team trying to tell you, well, we need to go down below 2,500? Yeah. Um, there's been a little bit of segment change <laughs> over the last few years that I've been here where we, I think we kind of started at 2000. We then went down to 1500. Now we're back up to 2,500. So there's been a a little bit of uh, movement, but I think we have it in a good spot now. And I think, uh, you know, the enterprise team, we're all in alignment that this is kind of the right line for now. Joe. And, uh, yeah, go go ahead there, Johnny. Sorry, Johnny. Uh, Joe, you're talking about, um, you're talking about inside sales and you're talking about SDRs just for our listeners. I'm sure most people understand this, but just in case, um, you know, you got an inside sales organization. You probably have it segmented in inbound and outbound, and you have an SDR organization. Could you just at a top level talk about how you structure the go-to-market with those two groups? And then how do you do it with data? Are you doing it with data to figure out, like, you know, how do you support them through inbound and what they need through outbound? How How does that work? Yeah, so so the uh, it's a great question. So the SDR organization really sits totally separate from commercial because they they don't just cover commercial, they cover all segments of the business. Yeah. I, when I think of an SDR organization at the highest level, it is obviously building pipeline for the company and helping with leads to the field uh, or to the sales teams. But then it's also, you're building the future talent pipeline for your yeah. program and your field program. So that's, and, and within the SDR, yeah, there are a lot of inbound leads um, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, they do find a lot of opportunities by target account sniping and outbounding and things like that. So it's a mix. Um, the way we break up the SDRs is we align them to the segments. So commercial has a certain number of SDRs, enterprise has a certain number, large enterprise has a certain number. And as best as we can, we try and align them either to the regional directors 
in the field or the regional VPs in the field. So they are almost a part of the field team that they support. You know, they're on the, the PG Monday calls, they're on team meetings, uh, they're working closely with the reps that they support to understand, uh, you know, where are the target accounts you want me focused on? What accounts don't you want me focused on because you're all set? And what accounts do you want me focused on? So we try and kind of have that, that relationship from the SDRs out to the sales teams that they support. Um, we actually have not broken out inbound versus outbound. I think that's a change we will make, to be honest, John, because we mm. are starting to get a lot more inbound. Yeah. Um, but the reason we hadn't is because most of the inbound were actually happening in commercial. Um, so those commercial SDRs would get the inbounds and then they'd be doing outbounds as they can as well. Um, but usually in large enterprise and enterprise, it's less inbound. It's more, hey, these are the, the target accounts and the personas we want to go after. SDR, you go you go help the field team with that by by outbounding into those accounts. Excellent. Now, Joe, on the commercial outside field people that you have, you named some offices like Boston and Raleigh. Do they reside only in those offices or do they reside throughout the U.S.? And then the second part of that question is, do you have people on your team that manage them or do they, are they managed in the local offices? Uh, so... Everything within commercial sits uh, under a leader that eventually rolls up into my organization. So it's not like they matrix into uh, an enterprise leader in a certain office. It's it's all commercial. So um, the, the answer to your first question is we, we have both. It's primarily field. Uh, we have reps in those local cities where they're the territory manager for that for that city. Um, usually they're under a local leader as well. The only times where we really have people in those hub offices is like, for certain markets where like like Oklahoma is an example that comes to mind. We have a rep in that Dallas hub office who is a commercial rep based in that office, but covers the state of Oklahoma. They can get into territory when they need to, but they, can you know, we just found we had the right talent. We had the right person. That job was available and we have them in that hub office and their leaders usually based in the Tola region as well. So um, it's a little bit of both. Ideally though, um, we have field-based commercial reps being led by a local commercial field-based leader in those markets. Yeah. Now, with all these different groups and different geographies, how do you ensure like common elements across the different geographies, like common recruiting profile, common you know ramp training and ramping, and common sales process, and common you know KPIs to track? How difficult is that for you? It's definitely difficult, but we've, I think we've done a pretty good job at, at driving that consistency a couple of different ways. Um, one is one of the requests that I had made early when I had this team was I really need a dedicated enablement business partner specifically for SDR and commercial. And uh, the re, you know, Dolly uh, already had so many things and our enablement team had so many things dialed in in terms of common recruiting process. We use the ICE, the ICE framework that I think has been talked about on this podcast before. Um, common sales process, common qualification methodology. So a lot of that was already built, but what I kind of figured going into this and it validated my first few months in the job was having a specific enablement business partner that I could work with to keep things specific to SDR and commercial because their needs are different. You know, they're, they're less tenured. A lot of them haven't had the experience doing some of these things before. So I have a global enablement business partner that I align with, and we built out that team over time with actually mostly with former SDRs or former commercial reps 
that have done the job before, did the job well, and thought enablement was something they were interested in, or they wanted to get into some type of leadership role, and this was a good intermediary step for them. So um, the, the enablement team that supports SDR and commercial really helps drive you know, the, the best practices, the common process, language, methodology, et cetera. Um, and then we, we actually spend a lot of time on, on leadership training um, where all of our leaders are speaking the same language in terms of here are the profiles that we're looking for. Here's how we interview. We spend a lot of time training on how to interview, how to look at resumes, how to run that interview process in a structured format, um, similar to the sales process, similar to the qualification methodologies that we use, things like that. So we, we try and standardize it as best we can. But, you know, I, I think the other thing when I travel, I try and travel a decent amount to get into the different offices and get in the field. You know, you, you spot certain things where you're like, well, that's different. That's like a little sub culture, sub program. That right. they're and sometimes those things are really good. And we kind of roll them out as a, a wider best practice. Sometimes they might not be aligned with what we're doing. And we try and we try and stop that. And we sometimes right. sniff those out in QBRs or just being out in the field. So it's definitely a challenge. But I, I do think having the enablement business partner is key. Um, and really just doing consistent enablement uh, on those things, you know, Week in, week out, quarter in, quarter out helps. So let's, Some of let's. They were trying to hide from you, Joe. They were like, Joe Young's <laughs> coming to town. Make sure yeah, we. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, spend a little time unpacking. You talked about enablement. You talked about uh, enablement partners. Johnny, you talked about sales process. I want to pick a couple of these topics and dig yeah. in a little bit. One of the things that I've noticed is that sometimes when organizations start to scale, they start to bifurcate a little bit on common language and common process. So many companies out there have a different qualification process uh, than the enterprise sellers. So the enterprise sellers maybe are on medic and the, you know, the commercial inside and, and SDRs uh, might be on something called like Bant. I'm sure Bant, you've heard yeah. the different yeah. ones, right? Yeah. Bant is like 1950s. It's, it's, <laughs> it was, a. am not, I'm not dogging it. It's a, you know, it's invented by IBM, uh, but what I've noticed is, is that many companies, they bifurcate. And I've always found that strange because uh, they teach the the inside sellers and the SDRs, they teach them something different than they teach the enterprise. And I know that how they do their jobs is different, but I, I've always thought that that makes it harder to transition from one group to another. Could you, and, and there's some unbelievably talented leaders in, um, in the SDR and, and and inside sales organization. And like you said, sometimes they invent stuff on necessity. So it's really, really good stuff. The problem I think happens when there's multiple processes and multiple language. Could you could you comment on that? Yeah, it, it's a it's 100 percent something we've we've seen, we've dealt with. It's been a challenge. I, I think the important thing that we level set on as an organization was a big part of our job is promoting people, right? We, I, if I look at like our worldwide commercial charter, it is recruit and develop the future generation of sales talent and sales leadership at the company. It's obviously hit pipeline and revenue targets for the commercial segment. Yeah. It's the new logo generation engine for the company. And then it's building the channel ecosystem. Those are kind of the four overarching priorities that we have. So with, with priority number one in mind, the fact that we know a lot of these people are going to grow up within the commercial org to be leaders yeah. or go to the other segments, we tried as, as best as we possibly could 
to mimic the enterprise process. So that the, smart. So now the one thing that has changed probably the most, or the, the biggest difference, is each stage is maybe a little bit less involved as it would be in enterprise plus. Um, but we try and do the the basics in each stage so that when that rep is promoted, they already know the fundamentals across each stage of the process. Um, so it's an easier ramp for them when they go to the next step. So for instance, uh, in stage zero, when we're doing account research and discovery and, and, and trying to set up discovery meetings, we've standardized on the value framework as a, as a company and, and we use a value pyramid. So we, we've tr- done a lot of enablement and training so that in stage zero, our commercial team is getting really good at doing value pyramids when they do their account research. You know, in stage one, uh, we're you know we're we're standardizing on the new business meeting framework that we we have in in the pain discovery that we have for the other segment. Um, now we might move out of these stages more quickly than a, a large enterprise seller, but at least we're doing the fundamentals in, across each stage. Um, from a qualification standpoint, you know, Medic the company uses Medic pretty heavily. Um, and you know it's 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 difficult to take an SMB rep or a commercial rep with no experience selling or only a year selling to really have them master medic before they yeah. get promoted. But we really focus in on the key needle movers of medic around pain identification, right, right. And, and champion identification and champion building. So at least you know Smart. they're getting the fundamentals of that prior to taking the next role. Uh, that should help them ramp more quickly when they get there. Um, but Smart. but absolutely, I, you know I came from. Uh, using Mant in the past. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I, I kind of, you know, when I first got here, I was saying, look, if you're on a first discovery call, maybe incorporate Mant if you're comfortable with Mant, right? Try and understand the timeline and, you know, who the authority, what the authority looks like in the account to go make a decision. Um, but over over time, throughout the rest of the sales process, we're going to use more of Medic. So, um, but I completely agree. That's been something that we've worked hard at, but we've tried to model it after the the company sales process. So for people listening, I think, you know, Johnny, you always talk about, I I, I, I might say it a little bit different than you do uh, in, in your book, so forgive me, um, but you always talk about the three whys. So no matter who's listening, wherever you are in an organization, a company needs to establish the three whys, and it's, you know, why buy anything, why buy anything now, and why buy from me in the differentiation piece. So... For those people listening, regardless of what the qualification criteria is, you've got to be able to scoop up those three big things. Yeah. And then I think, like you said, you got to map it to an engagement model. This is what I see a lot of companies struggle with, Joe. I'd like your opinion on it. They have a sales process and they show me a sales process for um, you know, a, one part of the organization. And then they show me where... It, it's on a different piece of paper. It's on different whatever. Then they show me what the um, you know the enterprise is doing. And if there's any critical handoffs and they have multiple processes, the customer suffers. Yep. So I'm wondering, how do you do it? Like, I like to see a good engagement model that's based upon how the customer buys, by stage, by role, who's doing what, when, and what's the customer supposed to be doing? So how do you get all that together without, um, you know, building collaboration, but not overwhelming people? Yeah. 
So the, the, the two main artifacts that we do a lot of the, the enablement on is the, the value pyramid when we're doing yeah. account research and then the three whys for our proposals. Really, that be going, we don't want to be sending a line item quote, right, with our with our SKUs. It should be the, the line item quote, but then the three whys that goes with it that shows the person signing off on that order. Here's why this you're doing this this project. A lot of times, you know, especially in the small business or medium business space, it's uh, usually a CEO or CFO signing off. And a lot of times we might not get that audience. Uh, we might get to the CIO, but not above that. But that CFO has the three Ys. So, um, but yeah, the, the, in, in the sales process, I don't know if I'm, I'm answering exactly what you're asking, but we have it all kind of mapped out. State, it, It's really, I'll call it a, it's a six stage process, but we focus on stages one through four, kind of the Perfect. most. Stage zero is around pipeline gen. Stage one is discovery and education. You know, stage two is usually a deeper dive education where you're building the requirements and you're you're really getting the, the, the technical win from the customer in stage two where they're saying, okay, you understand my problem. I know how you solve my problem. You guys seem to be the, t the technology of choice that will help me solve it the best way. Um, stage three typically for us could be really quickly because a lot of times that's the kind of the EB go, no go meeting. And um, we... we we struggle. That's probably one of the areas where commercial reps struggle the most is building a strong enough champion in that stage two to ask for that meeting in stage three and and feeling confident enough to get to the, the EB and have that discussion. Um, and then in stage four, a lot of times it, it, with the overall company, it's a proof of value. Sometimes we don't need that in commercial because we we're a proven technology already. Yep. We have customer references. We, uh, you know, we if we deliver, if we do the right things in stages one through three, we should be delivering a proposal in stage four and hopefully closing. But if we have to do a proof of value, we can do that. So um, we, we, again, those are the, the kind of the four stages that our the rest of our company uses. We try and align Great. to that as best as we can. But like I said, we might move a little bit more quickly through each stage than than the other segments because it's more of a velocity based business. Yeah, one of the things you brought up, Joe, was, um, and I've seen this in inside sales a lot, is especially in your probably your SMB group that's below 500 employees, they typically have a really difficult time branching out from the original contact that they made yes. with the company to go find a true champion or even branch out to find multiple champions or multiple contacts within the account. So how do you start to train people that have only seen it from the inside, you know, never really face to face with customers, which I think is a lot easier to go get multiple connections or multiple champions. How can you help young sellers like that branch out? So I think the biggest, honestly, the biggest way to do it is through strong frontline sales leaders, right? And and that's yeah. been a, a push for us is we've actually, we hired a lot of people externally that had sales leadership experience in maybe similar industries, which helped because they could easily, you know, do a deal review with an inside rep, an SMB rep, or a commercial rep and understand, is this a true pain that we're solving or is this something that they're just looking around at or kicking the tires on? And then are you single threaded in the account or have you built a champion? And and, and they'll they'll really kind of test that rep to go test that champion. And, and you'll find out quickly, you know, are you selling to the wrong person? Do you have the right person? Um, and that, so I think leadership is so important. We try and do a lot of the kind of enablement sessions too, around how do you identify champions? What do you look for? What are the characteristics you look for in those people? And then how do you go build them? And then how do you test them? 
but the enablement only goes so far. You need to you need to see it and do it. And and yeah. a lot of times the frontline leaders or the second line leaders step in to really help them throughout the campaign, so they they can actually witness it. Oh wow, that worked. Uh, that got me to the right person. Or I I was selling to someone who doesn't really have a lot of influence, and I needed to get to this other person. So uh, a lot of it is the deal reviews. We we spend a lot of time doing deal reviews. Um, and, and even not just for the biggest deals, what we sometimes we open office hours and we say, bring a deal, bring a deal that's stall. And we'll have a couple sales leaders on the, on that in those office hours and we'll kind of pick the deal apart. And sometimes it's a painful exercise for that rep, but they always leave and they're saying, thank you. I have a lot of stuff to go work on and let me go try that. So we try and do a lot of inspection around that and it really helps. So on the stall deals, is it typically because they can't find the pain? and quantify the pain? Or is it because they could even find some pain, but they can't find a champion? What is it? Is it typically, typically for me, it's going to come down to one of it, those two. It's you. Yeah. It's usually pain. Yeah. I hear a lot of in, in deal. Well, they want to replace their VPN. And I said, well, everyone wants to replace their VPN. No one likes VPN. Why, <laughs> why does it actually matter? And yeah. they just haven't gotten to that level of detail is, is there a true impact? Right. Is, you know, is there a real pain behind it? So I see that quite a bit. And then a lot of times I see, okay, th this company is going to do something. They have pain and they are going to buy. Do we have the right champion to help us win the deal? And a mm. lot of times we don't have that champion. So it's you, mm. you're spot on. It's one of those two things. I would say usually I see we haven't done a good enough job at making the pain real enough or, or qualifying out that pain, or we just haven't built a champion. And then th that's how the deal stall. And typically if you can really scrutinize the pain, and bring that pain out and how you bring value, you're going to find the champion. You're going to find that person. You're inside or outside. Yeah. So yeah. you guys are talking awesome about uh, qualification and situations inside of a deal. Joe, when you're running the whole thing, what data are you looking at? Because, you know, we're speaking anecdotally about here's where, here's where people struggle typically. And, but when you're running an organization, can you give our listeners some feedback of what should the metrics be? to where you can find that they're getting stuck in the stage of going to the economic buyer or what have you. So how do you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. And we have so many different tools and reports yeah. and it drives me crazy sometimes yeah. because I think we have too many, <laughs> too many different tools. Um, but so we've, we've gotten everybody rallied around the kind of the weekly leading indicators that the frontline leaders are going to look at. And then I have kind of the global view. Um, and, and the, 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 those leading indicators for our business and commercial are slightly different than, you know, Enterprise Plus. Yeah. But it's essentially, we want to see eight customer-facing meetings a week. And we've, we've kind of looked at the top reps and, you know, what their activity looked like. And it usually falls into these buckets, which is why we kind of standardized on these. But it's eight customer-facing meetings a week. Four of those meetings really should be focused on early stage, kind of finding new opportunities, whether it's discovery calls or new business meetings. Um, and then four of those meetings should be around opportunity progression, right? M moving those those VOs through the process. Um, and we do have, you know, we use Tableau and, and Clary and a few other things, but our leaders can look at, you know, hey, let's go look at your activity from last week. And maybe you had a great week around pipeline generation, but you didn't you didn't have any progression meetings, right? You haven't progressed any of the opportunities in your funnel. Why is that? Um, let's go dig into the opportunities that you're working on and let's figure out why you haven't had that activity. Um, vice versa. You know, a lot of times what I see more of is 
The reps do a good job at building pipeline. Once they build up a decent pipeline, they spend all their time on VO progression. And they don't, they forget about the early stage of finding new VO. Um, so we we take a look at that as well and say, hey, you're spending all your time with this deal. Like, let's make sure it's the right people you're talking to, it's the right activities, et cetera. So we're trying to track you know, new pipeline coming in and then are we progressing the pipeline through? So that's the, the customer facing activity we look at. We also look at you know a pipeline number, um, what gets us to 4X pipeline coverage. That's typically been our historical conversion around 25%. So we know we need 4X coverage. Yeah. Um, and what is what is the weekly amount of pipeline you as a seller have to add to, to be sufficient on your pipeline to be at 4X? Um, and then we look at channel engagement and alliance partner engagement. And those are really more PG related activities typically our channel interlocks, we're working with partners to identify joint target accounts and do uh, pipeline gen activities into those accounts to hopefully build more pipeline. And we have a really strong like tech alliance ecosystem. We partner closely with Okta, CrowdStrike, AWS, Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the reps that have done really well have found so many great opportunities by working with those technology alliance partners. Because typically if they're spending a lot of money on one of those technologies, they're probably a great fit for Zscaler. So that's if I'm looking at it as a frontline leader, those are the metrics I'm looking at week in and week out. It's early stage. Are you finding VO? Are you progressing VO? And then are you meeting with your ecosystem of channel and technology alliances? And then I have that all rolled up at the, the global view from a pipeline perspective and an activity perspective. Did you notice, Joe, any differences in this last year? I saw a lot of companies that their pipeline needed three times, four times, one to four and a half or whatever. Did you notice anything from this past year? And I'd love to hear some good news that it's maybe coming back down or what's your stomach? What's your stomach? I, got, I had a long QBR with Dolly a few quarters ago where our conversion went from like, you know, 28% to like 18%. And that was- You and yeah, everybody else. And macro economy challenges, right? Um, we definitely saw that. I think when we first started- uh, our conversion was actually a little bit higher in, in commercial. It was probably closer to 30 plus percent. Um, but as we grew and as we've had better marketing demand gen, we've built more pipeline. Some of it probably hasn't been as qualified as it was. So our conversion has gone down a little bit. 25 has been really the historical benchmark, but it did drop. Um, and then, you know, it did get back up. And then I think we finished last quarter around 22, 23%. Oh, that's great news. Positive momentum. And I also think that has to do with, we had a lot of newness in, in our team as well. So not only was the macro economy challenging, but we had a lot of new people because we grew a lot. And um, now I think that we have people ramping uh, our pipeline. Number one, our discovery is getting better. So we have more quality pipeline and our sales execution is getting better. So I'm, I'm very confident about the rest of this fiscal year, which we're in Q2 right now. So I think we're going to have a strong year. Joe, usually, you know, going back to your point of you um, finding VO or moving VO, when you see that imbalance in reps, you usually can point to your sales manager as to why that's happening. Because it's no different on the outside. People build a large pipeline one quarter, close it the next quarter. Build another large pipeline the next quarter, close it the next quarter. You know, so they go up and down and up and down. And that's really why you have sales managers. A funny John line, a funny John Hanlon line I heard in a QBR once was one of his leaders, a senior leader, said, you know, we don't have a lot of pipeline this quarter. Here's my commit. The commit was low. And he said, we drained the swamp last quarter. 
And John said, well, I pay you a lot of money to make sure the swamp is always full. <laughs> and it's true, you know, again, it goes back to kind of the leaders and, and are you inspecting that and looking that at that week in and week out? Because you usually can see that trend that it's going that way early. But right. you have to be looking at the metrics and the leading indicators. Uh, Joe, let's talk a little bit about if it's okay to switch gears a little. Yep. You know, if I'm an SDR, I probably come into Zscaler and like most organizations, I spend some time as as an SDR, then I move to SMB, then I move to commercial and field, and then eventually to the enterprise group. What I've found difficult in a lot of the inside groups is the sales managers. So you have in SDR, you have SDR managers. You have the SMB group. You have the SMB managers. Then the field, or uh, you know, commercial group, as you call them, managers. A lot of times, those guys or those people want to get outside, so it's hard to hold on to them on the inside. They weren't as promoted as many times or as fast as you were from, you know, inside sales outside back into inside back up again. You know, you were promoted so many times and so many fa so fast. How do you hold on to those people to, you know, keep them engaged and give them a career path also? So it's probably one of the biggest challenges I face on a daily basis, right, is is uh, building kind of the career path the right way so that you're not losing people because they don't see the next step, but you're also not promoting too soon. Um, and we've been in hyper growth mode over the last three years. I mean, we are hiring at a huge clip, both in commercial enterprise, large enterprise, et cetera. So um, there's a lot of pressure in the in the overall system around hiring and and um, the tendency sometimes can be, I don't care if this person's not ready. I'll, I, I'll take the chance. I'll, I'll bring them up. I'll promote them from inside of the field or commercial to enterprise, whatever. Luckily, I have, you know, I've built good partnerships with with the extended leadership team in the field and, and everyone's kind of aligned and we've worked with our, our PNC organization to really define what are kind of the requirements or what can we be looking at? Uh, in terms of metrics, KPIs, et cetera, that are the bare minimum for what you need to move on. But then we've done some other things in addition to that. So the four things we really we really consider when it's time for career progression or to move on is time and role. And you know, I'd like to see time and role at two years minimum, three years, but it's it's become more and more unrealistic. So the the defined minimum time and role from our PNC organization is twelve months minimum. Uh, so at least I know that I don't hire a rock star and in six months I have someone trying to take them. I know I'm at least getting 12 months, which hope, hopefully we can extend that longer and longer because that, that's a very short runway, even at 12 months. Um, we look at quota attainment. So you have to be green on your quota attainment after you're ramped, meaning are you consistently hitting quarterly plan? Um, we looked at your activity and your leading indicators. Have you been a consistent um, performer when it comes to hitting the right activity metrics and pipeline generation metrics. So there's a, cause at times you've seen people hit their quota, but they did it on one deal and they didn't do the right things from an activity perspective. So we try and look at that as well. And if, if you have to be green on both quota, as well as your leading indicators and KPIs. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is around leadership feedback. And we've created something called an individual development plan that each leader does for each IC, whether it's an SDR or a commercial rep. And that IDP kind of hits on the three key elements of the sales process, three or four, but it's around messaging. Have you kind of mastered the messaging that you need to, to be uh, proficient in front of customers and do good discovery and, and knowing the use cases and the messaging? Um, have you have you done a good job mastering kind of the sales process or you know, where are your gaps maybe in the sales process? Same thing with qualification. 
Um, and then really we call it like operational excellence, but like, are you consistently doing the right thing? So each rep has a scorecard uh, as that that's their IDP that their leader has been working on them with quarter in and quarter out. So when a, a field leader says, Hey, I want to promote this, this inside rep, we can say, okay, time and role check, quota attainment check, um, leading indicators, KPIs check. They've hit all that, but here's their IDP. These are the things that you're going to have to watch for, or these are the areas where they're good. And this is where they need to improve based on what we've been observing over the last few quarters. So when that person gets promoted, the field leader that's hiring them knows, okay, this person should be pretty good on these areas that are green. Here are the areas that I think they're struggling with based on their leader feedback that I can go work with. So yeah. those are the four things that we look at. Um, but the the time and role thing is the, is the tough one because when people are under pressure to hire, they want to take shortcuts and, and do that. And that's a tough thing to kind of, and it's that's hard where to say, I was, that's oh, where I, I was I going with my, move. that's where I was going with my next question is, you know, if the commercial team, you know, wants to make it easier on themselves to recruit, they just come into the SMB group Correct. and the enterprise people just come into the commercial field people and they try to recruit them instead of trying to go to the outside Correct. and hire somebody. Now, your your difficulty is trying to drive a balance between what's really good for this person and what does the company really need? Because if you if you just give in to the pressure of the the enterprise people or the field people, you know, commercial field people, you might be doing the rep a disservice. Then they get up there and they fail miserably, and now you lost a potentially really good employee, but they're gone, and it's all because someone or some person was trying to take a shortcut because they were too lazy to to recruit the right way. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And I think the big thing there is we can fall back on a couple of different things. One being the IDP, like, hey, we've been working on this together, right? We know your strengths and weaknesses. There's too many weaknesses, you know, that you still, I think, need to work on before you're going to really go succeed in that next role. Like, uh, you know, that that's a conversation that our leaders have to have. Um, but then in addition, I've also seen sales reps be a little bit short-sighted where they just got ramped in their role. They've got their pipeline built out. You know, maybe they've been in the role for a year. The next six months is where to nine months or 12 months is where they're really going to take where you make your money. The pipeline that they just built and mm. they spent all this time building, go take advantage of that and go close that pipeline and go make money before mm. you go take another job where you get back into build mode. Right. That's a good point. Great point. You so, guys have highlighted two real things, Joe, that I just want to make sure people hear. First of all, I want to make sure people really understood your IDP, an individual development plan that has messaging, sales process, qualification, and then operational excellence. What I like about that, Joe, is there's no question on what success looks like. So there's two big problems, in, well, actually three big problems I see in organizations. The first one is the expectation of the individual. They go in and they're trying to get out as fast as they can, and they don't realize I'm in a great spot to learn how to be great. I am in a great spot to learn how to be great. Now, company has to have a good IDP. They got to have good training. But I find it's the mentality of the people in those roles that sometimes they they jump and then and then other companies grab them. So they miss out on an opportunity to, to get that back nine like you're talking about. They train down the front nine and they don't get any of the back nine. Then the other one, Joe, and this one's a big problem is a success profile. If I can't look at an organization uh, organization and see why Susie and Jimmy got promoted, 
and it's not factual, it's not based on data, it's not based on an IDP, then it just looks like favoritism or it looks like politics. And I see companies as they scale start to crumble within when they don't have those two things. Do you have some comments on that? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think um, the, the that's why I think going back to the IDP, having having kind of the table stakes of time and roll, green on your activity metrics and your KPIs, um, and your quota attainment right there, it's really hard to dispute favoritism because those yeah. are objective metrics that we can look at and say, this person checked all of those boxes. Yeah. Um, you know, then everything else after that is kind of their maturity and how much they've learned and developed. And that's really what we can look at the IDP for. So if, if they've hit the minimums, at least the sales leader that wants to hire this person knows, okay, they, they've checked the boxes, but now I actually have really strong feedback based on this IDP on right. Do I want to, is this too much of a risk or is it, uh, you know, a, a manageable level of risk for promoting this person? By the way, the average, the average, I looked it up this morning, the bridge group uh, uh, put out this out for SDRs and inside sellers is 18 months. Yeah. The average is 18 months. So if you're out there and you're in one of these roles, you have to ask yourself if you're trying to do it in 12 months or, or if you're in 36 months, you got to ask yourself, what is your situation based on that? And I think that's that's a good that's a good number to know. You know, the, the other thing that I'll bring up because it's important that the tough part as I never want to stop someone from getting promoted. Right. right. That's the fun part of our job. And that's what all of our leaders are trying to do. Like back to the North Star Charter is our number one job is to recruit and develop the future generation of sales leaders at the company. So we love promoting. Um, and that's a that can be a, a difficult conversation. The the you know, again, going back to the frontline leaders, like if your reps know that the leader has your best interest in mind, they don't want to promote you too quickly. They're not trying to hold you back. They're trying to do what's right for you in your career. That's so important. But the the, the whether you're an SDR or an SMB rep or commercial rep, those people in my organization, because Zscaler has a great brand, other companies know if you've gone through that program, at yeah. Zscaler, you've gotten great training, they're offering crazy OTEs to some of these reps that don't really have a lot of tenure. So we're facing not only external attrition yep. because companies are recruiting from our company all the time, um, but also the internal promotion. So it's a tough balance, but um, I think it's so critical to, like you said, John, you need to get the reps believing, I am in a great spot, I am learning, I am developing, yep. I have a path within my own company um, that when I do the right things, I am gonna keep getting promoted. That is so important that we, keep talking about that. The reps have belief in that because otherwise it's really hard to, to, to ignore some of these offers that they might get externally. Now, Joe, what's the real difference maker you think in why an SDR makes it or doesn't make it? If you could point to one or maybe two things. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I think in the recruiting process that maybe gets overlooked at times, but I think it's so important when you're hiring an SDR, which is more entry level, right? Maybe they've had a job before. I, I like people with experience already that have already been in the working world. They have maturity. They know how to work. You know, they've, they've worked hard at something. Maybe it's just not in technology. Maybe it's something else. So I like those profiles, but then obviously we naturally hire a lot of people right out of college, right? It's an entry level, um, you know, SDRs a lot of the time are college, college grads and they go through new hire training and things like that. Um, but I think the two things are one, 
do they want to be get into sales? Do they know why they're interviewing for this job as an SDR? Like, do they know what they're getting into? So as I a love, path, as a career path, as a career path. Yes. Yeah. Maybe their first job as an SDR, but you know, this is a sales role. So I like to ask, why do you want to do sales? Right. If they're interviewing for an SDR job and I want to know their answer. Is it because they just saw this online? It looked cool. They applied. Or do they actually have a reason on why sales and why they think they'd be a good fit in sales? Then I like to say, well, why tech? You could go sell anything. Why tech? Do they have a good idea of why they want to get into technology sales, right? Maybe because it's more solution selling versus product selling and they want to help customers and businesses solve problems and they like problem solving. Maybe they know that it's more complex. It's more, you know, it's more of a, and more complex sale leads to more money, which I like to hear that as well if you're motivated by money. Uh, and then why Zscaler? Why have you honed in on Zscaler? There's a lot of tech companies out there. Why is it, what, what about Zscaler? Have you done your homework on the company? And I think that if you can find, if you can narrow in on that in the recruiting process, I think those people already are committed. They've already, they already know what they're getting into and they'll put in the work um, to go be successful in those roles. I think the other thing comes down to just being a student of the industry, uh, not, not finishing at five o'clock, shutting your laptop, going home for the night, come back the next morning at eight, open your laptop again. I like people that are bringing their laptop home with them after work and, and studying yeah. the competition, studying our products more, understanding the industry and the trends, um, listening to podcasts like this, right? I, I want people that are not just looking at this as an eight to five job, but they're looking at, this is a huge opportunity for me to build my career and I'm going to go work at it and be, become a student of the industry. So I, I've wor I worked when I was an SDR and an inside rep. I saw a lot of people that every night, five o'clock, shut their laptop and didn't touch it again. No chance. Morning. And no I, chance. I, I, that's not how you're going to get ahead in sales and in tech no. sales. I've had to advise a couple of companies where at five o'clock, the last place you want to stand is near the elevators. You'll get stuck. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Hey, now, Joe. Joe what, about, what about the inside sales? Is it any different on why an inside salesperson won't make it versus SDR? A lot of those same reasons could apply. I, I, I completely, I think it's the same reasons, right? You know, that I learn something new every day. I mean, you could be the best inside rep in the world. Uh, and you still have a lot to learn. So it's those people that are constantly looking to get better, being a student of the industry, uh, looking to improve every day. And then, you know, coachability is a big thing because I think you learn habits as an SDR, you learn habits as a commercial rep, and then, you, you know, you learn different things at each each stage of your career. You have to be adaptable and you have to be coachable and open to learning new things. So I think those are, are, are really important. Now, Joe, how hard do you look at the managers when people are making it or not making it because a lot of times at least in my career i've seen people not make it and i've think, thought you know i gotta look a little deep here i can't just keep losing sales reps and i look hard at the manager and i realize hmm, i think i got myself a manager problem i changed the manager and all of a sudden the reps are doing really well 100 percent. we've uh we look at that a lot we look at you know if you kind of look at the qbr when you do a leader qbr you're looking at you know, how strong is your talent bench? What's your attrition look like, right? How intimate do you, intimately do you know all your people? And a lot of times we will put a slide up with the people and the stack rank and what role they want next and what are their strengths and weaknesses from the IDP. And the best leaders know know all of those things, right? They know, hey, this, is, this person's really good in these areas. Here's where I'm working with them on. This is what they want to do as a next step. Here's what, here's what motivates them. Here's their personal why. And then sometimes the, the not so good leaders don't have those answers. And you find that a lot in the QBR. So 
I think a lot of it comes down to strong, having a strong leader in that role that gets all of those things um, and really puts the time in to, to know their team and develop their team. Yeah, and then the second part of that that I've seen is territory balancing. A lot of times the managers aren't really good at balancing the territory, so they add a couple more people, but they don't change the territories at all, and they stick the two new people in like a small corner of the territory, and they almost have no chance at making it because yeah. the manager's not brazen enough or smart enough or has enough courage or enough intelligence sometimes to just constantly evenly divide that pie in even pieces for the new people as well as the existing people. That that is um that's a real challenge that we've been facing and it's a work in progress. I think we're getting better at it. We did a really big exercise on territory health prior to this fiscal year to really look at across every territory what does a good territory look like in terms of number of accounts, existing customers, you know, annual market opportunity in terms of the amount of users that we can go sell to. So we've done a lot of research on that, but I, I've seen and I've had a lot of conversations with specific second line and frontline managers around, hey, look, I, I know your team based on the feedback you've given me and QBRs and things like that. You know, you have these four reps all kind of top of your stack rank. Why is this one rep consistently so far ahead of these other reps when you're saying that they're all similar in terms of capability and talent and things like that? Should we go look at these territories, right? Is one Does one person have by mm. far the best territory? And you're right, John, a lot of times that manager doesn't want to go change anything. Because no, they don't. don't want to maybe that best, my rep best rep is one you know? of their best friends and they go yes. drink a beer together and he don't want it, the last thing they want to do is have that conversation that I'm going to cut your territory. Maybe yeah. they, they have had the conversation. They get threatened and they don't know yes. how to handle it. Yes. And, um, you know, it takes that's where you even your second line managers need to step in and and help out with balancing territories. Right. Because totally then agree. first line got person can play good guy, bad guy. Yeah. And I think that we, we kind of ended up in a situation where, again, hyper growth, we were growing so quickly. We were quick, quickly segmenting territories. And that's why we felt like we needed to do the reset on the territory health, because uh, we we just grew really fast. And I, I don't think we had enough uh, intention when we split territories at first. And we think we've gotten it to a better spot. But I, I know there are still hot spots where we have those problems. Hey, Johnny, we were talking a little bit about highlighting some skills here. And I just like, uh, Joe, I'd like your opinion. When I looked at these entry level, and, and I, I'm not talking down about it, but it's an entry level job in many cases, in most cases, um, so we've talked about what it takes to be successful when you're in the job, but before you get the job, um, I've always found that roles like that, the only, you know, if you're hiring out of college, the only way you can really tell, um, one of the ways that you can really tell is by, is by understanding if they've ever been told no before. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of successful people coming out of college that haven't been told no before. And if I can't self-identify on how that makes me feel, I call it the indignity of the close. If I'm not understanding what that means, that you know the sale really begins with probably an objection or a no or somewhere, um, and I'm not comfortable with that, then I'm probably I'm probably not going to do so well in that sales career. Do you do you have things like that that you could give some advice for people that are recruiting like out of colleges? Yeah, that's a great question and a great point. So I think with the profile, right, we talked about intelligence, character, coachability, experience is kind yep. of the company, the way we, we recruit in the sales organization here. Experience is less important with from an SDR perspective for that yep. entry level role. 
Um, you know, if we can find someone with a couple of years of experience, great. But for the most part, I'm really interviewing for intelligence and character. And I think within the character, it's it's persistence, it's drive, it's self-awareness. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of times, and, and, and I've had a lot of conversations with our SDR leadership team about this is a lot of times we, we move too quickly to the kind of the final step of the process of the panel interview where they do a presentation, yeah. uh, maybe they do a mock cold call or a mock sales call. And a lot of people knock it out of the park. It's amazing how many people right out of college are so good at presenting. Their presentation skills are amazing, yeah. which is obviously really important for what we're doing. But I don't think it's the most important thing. I want to understand, you know, someone's character more so than anything. So I think those is part of our structured interview framework. We're trying to focus more in the early stages of that process of identifying what are the the aspects of someone's character and capability that we're looking for. So I think on the intelligence side, it's, you know, walk. I like to start with, tell me your life story. Like, tell me, tell me about everything from when you were young to now. And I think that you can really pull a lot out of that from hearing their life experiences. Have they had to overcome adversity in the past? You know, how did they get to where they are today? And a lot of times it's, how did you pick the college that you went to, right? How did you pick the major that you ended up doing? Right. Um, you know, how quickly did you graduate? Did you graduate in four years? Um, things like that just can tell you, like, does this person have the capability, the IQ and the EQ right. to, to grasp what we're, we're going to ask them to do here? Um, and then on the, the character side, I think a lot of it, too, is just, are you driven? This job's hard. You're going to face a lot of rejection. You're going to face a lot of hardships. And sales is a grind, no matter how which way you look at it. Are you going to be able to grind through the hard times? So I like to dig into, again, a, a, in the life story, but also like what challenges have you overcome? You know, talk to me about that. And how hard, you know, did you work through college? Like, did you have to help fund your education? Just certain things to see. Have they worked hard before and have have they been told no? Have they overcome adversity? And are they going to be a grinder? Because this is a tough, tough role. Great ones. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Go back. Let's go back to KPIs real quick. You talked about KPIs that you monitor during the quarter. Let's talk about some KPIs that you might review once the quarter's over. Yeah. So at my, are you, and I'm assuming you mean more kind of my level, the leader level, more so than like the front. Yeah, line. the leader level. You know, what do you review to see? You know, how did it go? Where are there some good regions and some bad regions? And maybe you know, what what yeah. can we? What do I need to do now to make sure that those types of things don't happen next quarter? Sure. Yeah. I like to look at, at a high level, I, I really like to hone in on, you know, attrition, like where, where did we have hotspots in attrition? Number one, um, in the QBRs, things like that. Um, I like to look at rep productivity, you know, what's, what's the average productivity for a seller? Is that going up or down? Um, and that's really more of a post quarter thing because it's hard to track, you know, throughout the quarter. Right. And I like to look at just pipeline creation. A lot of times that tells you everything you need to know right there. Like which regions are, consistently generating pipeline and which regions are behind in pipeline generation. Um, so those those are all big. And then obviously the pipeline conversion. And we actually have a pretty good tool within Clary that shows you pipeline conversion by stage. So we can see throughout the different stages where deals are falling off. And we can look at that at the, each individual leader level. And that helps us really pinpoint problems. So if we see a lot of pipeline you know, falling off after stage one and not converting to stage two or beyond, it's probably because we didn't do a good enough job with discovery up front. Mm -hmm. If we see pipeline falling out after stage two, have we done a good enough job at really um, education and, and making sure the customer knows why our solutions differentiated, how we map to their pain? So we look at those things typically in the QBRs, but I think the big ones are 
uh, pipe creation, attrition. Um, I also, I think another aspect is channel. We, we spend a lot of time talking about the channel. And that's another thing I, I kind of look for when hiring a commercial rep is, do they have some background in, in channel selling? Because such a big part of our go-to-market, some regions have really high channel activity, but it was it effective activity and did it lead to pipeline? Um, because sometimes reps can hide a little bit and spend all their time with channel partners, but it doesn't <laughs> lead to any pipeline. Yeah, so exactly. we look at those different things after the quarter in the QBR. Like, are we maximizing our activity with channel and customers, pipeline, rep productivity, things like that? Awesome. Hey, one of the last things I want to talk about before we wrap up here is <clears throat> advice that you can give enterprise sellers who interact with these groups. What I found is people get amnesia when they get in these enterprise roles and they get amnesia from about where they come from. And so they complain about, I'm not getting good leads. I'm not getting good qualification. I'm, and I call it, Joe, I call it getting in the pit. And what I mean by that is going back to where you started, getting in the pit and being a part of the development plan. I've found some of the greatest learn comes from mentoring you know, like some of the best enterprise reps I've ever seen are the ones that know that they are part of their role is to develop and mentor good people that they work with. And so if you're listening out there and you're complaining about leads and you're complaining about qualification and blah, 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 you're, you know, don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. Don't forget where you come from. Do you, do you foster that too, Joe? 100%. I mean, if you look at the best SDRs, typically quarter in and quarter out, it's the SDRs that are most ingrained with their the sales team that they support. And they've had reps that have taken them under their wing, coached them, developed them, showed them where to go, right? Showed them where to prioritize their time. Same thing with sales leaders. You know, Mike Ernest is a very senior leader at our company, and he always looked at it as this SDR is part of my team and I own the development of this SDR. And if I right. have people in my organization that don't want to spend time with the SDRs, I'll tell that SDR, don't spend time with them. If they don't want your help, go focus on the people that want your help and that are going to help you. So um, that's a really, really important thing. I think if if the sales reps need to remember where they came from and and help help invest in that SDR, because it's going to lead to success for them if they make those, those investments. Fantastic. Joe Young. Did an amazing job. Killed it. Fantastic. Dude, Thank you. Killed it, buddy. Thank you guys Command for of me. his content, awesome. Johnny McMahon. Command of his content. Wow. I told you. He's a star. Yeah, fantastic. Right. Thank yeah, you, thank Joe. Thank you guys Appreciate for having it. me. It was, it was awesome. And it was good to catch up with you, John. Yeah, you're welcome. John Kaplan, hopefully we'll meet in person soon. You got it, Joe. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. thank you, John. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.